New on CuriosityStream, Darwin's theory of evolution, a scientific breakthrough, but 1920s Tennessee wasn't ready for it. It became the Bible versus evolution. Followed a heated trial that changed American education forever on Monkey in the Middle. And it's the country's deadliest highway. There were something like 178 accidents in a 10-year period. Don't miss the most dangerous road in America. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. I'll say this to start off. I'm an avid Goodwill shopper. Half the furniture in my room and my closet are from Goodwill. That said, nothing like this has happened to me before and in the years that it's been since this happened, I've had no experiences. I was shopping casually one day when I came across something I thought was cool. A framed pressed flower on an old looking piece of paper with faded elegant handwriting below it spelling out the scientific name for the flower. The picture frame looked like it had been painted over with purple nail polish and was much, much larger than the paper, in a way that was eye-drawing but kind of off-center. I would have put it back down, except the flowers looked like forget-me-nots, which are my all-time favorite flower. So I spent the $3 on it, as well as $3 on a smaller, more modern-style picture frame. My original goal was to put the flower and paper into the other frame and hang it up, but as soon as I arrived home... It became apparent that that wasn't going to happen. The brown paper on the back of the purple frame was ripped already, so when I finished ripping it off, I realized the picture frame was not only stapled shut, but nailed. Yeah, I guess I could have spent the extra 45 minutes digging out all the nails and staples, but I didn't. I'm lazy. I just hung it up the way it was. For two straight weeks, every single night, that picture frame would fall off the wall. It didn't matter how I hung it up. Stick on a hook, thumbtacks, actual hooks, even nails. It would be on my floor by the morning, occasionally waking me from my sleep when it fell. Some of the times when I woke up, I would hear rustling in the walls, like an animal was moving around in there. I would get up and put my ear to the wall, try to follow the sound so I could tell my dad where to look in the morning. My dad never found anything, but I was so sure something was moving in there, he called a professional pest guy. The pest guy didn't find any droppings or signs of life, but he agreed to leave a couple of traps in the attic. Before I explain this next part, let me lay out my room for you guys. It was a pretty big room, and considering I only had a twin bed pressed against the wall farthest from the door, despite me being 5'10", the room seemed even bigger. The window was directly over my bed, and I like to keep my blinds open because I like natural light and looking at the moon when I sleep. There's also a sister bathroom attached to another identical room on the same wall as the entrance. If you go deeper into the bathroom, where the toilet is, there's a door to the attic. There's a fair amount of space in there, but I only went in there when I had to because there were little tunnels and pockets of darkness that lead into the walls of the house. It creeped me out. That's where the pest guy set the traps, and yet I would check them every morning and find nothing. It was even more frustrating when the noises started happening earlier in the day or at twilight, increasing in frequency. And there was this horrible stench I can't explain that seemed to be coming from the walls now, too. And to be honest, about eleven days in, I adjusted and grew nose-blind to it and it only bothered me a little. I only remember how bad it was when someone else entered my room because they would recoil or comment on it and they typically didn't stay for long. Around the two-week period mark, I 
realized I wasn't dealing with raccoons in my wall. I woken up to a knocking sound this time, like someone was banging on my door in the middle of the freaking night. I yelled out to, just give me a second, and put on some pants and the almost panicked sounding banging stopped. I opened my bedroom door to no one, and despite being a scaredy cat through and through, I was so sure it was someone in my family that I checked the whole house, turned on every light, and woke up my dad and sister who were apparently sleeping soundly to ask what was wrong. Then I double checked the locks and the doors, grabbed a knife, I was a scaredy cat okay, and went back to my room cautiously. Something about even stepping into that room made the hairs in the back of my neck stand, triggered my fight or flight, so try as I did, I couldn't fall back asleep. I sat stock still listening for anything. I finally allowed myself to lay back and get comfortable. Not ten minutes later I heard it, a fainter knocking. It wasn't coming from my door though, no, it was coming from my walls. I didn't stay there long enough to investigate after that realization. No siree, I flew out of that room. I went and slept with my little sister in her room. She was freaked out already from me shaking her awake and didn't mind me sleeping in there anyway. The following day before school I had to go back in there to change. It smelled worse than I remembered, maybe because I hadn't slept there in a while and I just ignored the smell. I ignored the rustling. I spent about three minutes getting ready then booked it. By the time I get back from school I wasn't just scared, I was angry. If that was some kind of spirit, like I thought it might be, it had no business kicking around in my room like it thought it was the boss. It couldn't hurt me if I wasn't afraid. So I thought. So as soon as I got home, I went straight to my room. I cleaned up for a bit, I rehung my flower, and then I turned off the light and I sat on my bed, waiting. I waited until it started for about an hour until something made me sit up. I couldn't tell you exactly what. It's not like it got colder or even darker. It was only just reaching dusk and my window still illuminated my room completely. And I had fairy lights hanging over a desk in the corner. But it felt darker, if that makes sense. The air felt heavy. I sat up and strained my ears until I heard a faint knocking. First on one wall, then a second one closer to me, then one further away by my desk. So I did the most stereotypical thing you can do and was like, Hello? Nothing. Is anyone there? Nothing. Even the knocking stopped. And then I did something I regret a little, because it confirmed my theory that I wasn't an animal. I said, If someone's there, turn off my lights. I pointed to the fairy lights but didn't see anything happen at first. Then, just long enough to make me roll my eyes at myself, they turned off. I told the spirit to leave, that this was my room and they weren't welcome there. It actually made me feel better, made the air lighter. I went downstairs and ate dinner. When I came back to go to bed, the picture frame was on the ground. This time the fall had broken the glass and frame pretty bad. I cleaned up the glass propped the thing by my wall and chilled in there until I didn't feel afraid anymore. Eventually, I went to bed. That night was the first and last time I had ever experienced sleep paralysis. I woke up in the dark, sleeping on my stomach. 
My face had an angle facing the bathroom door in my desk. I couldn't see the door to my room or the wall where I hung the picture. I wasn't panicked at first. I knew I couldn't move, but I was relieved I'd escaped my dream, though I can't remember what it had been now. And then I realized I wasn't alone. I couldn't see anything, but I knew I wasn't. I could feel the presence, distinctly male presence, and I could feel the darkness in my room intensify. The shadows cast from the window move onto my wall as it or him approached me. I stared at the bathroom door, knowing if I could just move my fingers and my toes, could just jumpstart my limbs into action, I could get away. But I couldn't. The bed pressed in on both sides of my bed by my feet, like something had put their hands on either side of my feet. Then, bit by bit, I felt those invisible hands crawl further and further upward, could feel warm breath on my calves while I lay frozen in terror. I saw the bed move with my own eyes right by my tilted head. It compressed like someone was putting pressure on it, but there was nothing there. The warm breath expelled straight onto my neck. It touched my hip, its hand bigger than the span of my back, bigger than any hand I'd ever seen. It wasn't inappropriate, I guess you could say, but it was something pretty close to it. It was possessive. I couldn't see the thing, but I could feel it. I could feel its intent. It didn't feel aggressive or violent, but it felt malicious. And most of all, it felt smug. I think if I had seen its face, it would have been smiling. And that scared me so much that finally I jerked away from its hold, stumbled to the bathroom, to the next bedroom, literally unable to stop screaming until I was down the stairs. My dad and both my sisters rushed towards me, freaking out, and I immediately burst into tears. I told them what happened when I finally calmed down enough. My oldest sister was quick to say it was just a dream, a scientifically explainable occurrence, but my dad and my little sister were a little more willing to believe that it was something paranormal. We'd grown up hearing scary stories about my dad's haunted house, and we, to this day, are all believers. I threw away the picture a week later, a solid week of sleeping on the couch. I had thought long and hard about when it started, but it didn't take much deduction to conclude whatever spirit was haunting me was attached to that frame. As I threw it away, I noticed the entire inside of the frame was coated in this sticky, slimy red substance, and it smelled horrible, just like my room had. It was impossible to wash the stuff off, too. It took me a good ten minutes and a lot of wasted water. Some other creepy stuff happened as well, even after I moved out, but it wasn't nearly that bad. And as much as I hate to be that person, as soon as I got interested in Quakerism and spirituality and I became more religious, all of those problems stopped entirely. What I do think is interesting is why I made this post in the first place. I moved out of my dad's house with a friend and hadn't moved back in at the start of COVID. About four months into it, I became more religious and it was like a weight was lifted off my chest. At the same time, three things happened that I think are worth noting, even though they didn't scare me. The last one I found out today. One, my dad and his employee turned my old bedroom into an office when I moved out. In the same week that I started feeling more like myself, Ben, the employee, came down the stairs looking extremely uncomfortable with a stack of papers in his hand. It was a stack of printed paper that had apparently come out of the printer. It was a slideshow my little sister had made for school back in ninth grade. 
It was printing out the pages in a loop, over and over again. Ben had turned off the printer multiple times, but it just kept turning back on and printing the same pages out. Apparently it had been doing that all week, he said, and it was starting to scare him. But the funny thing is, that printer had been broken for almost a year. We could never get it to work or even turn on, and we even had another printer at that point. My dad just never got around to throwing it away. It was also late summer by that point, and my sister was just about to enter 10th grade. Two, not even five minutes after he said that, we hear a loud crash and two screams from upstairs. While my sister and her friend were in the bathroom, somehow her 50-pound giant mirror had crashed onto the floor and shattered into a million pieces. It had been leaning against the wall, and it would take a lot of strength to knock that thing over. It's not something that happens on accident. Both Ben and the friend left pretty quickly after that, freaked out, though Ben did a better job of concealing it. 3. My dad has had sleep paralysis too. Once, and only once, he just told me about it, and as he told me, I got this very unsettling feeling. It was within a two-week period of the mirror incident. So, what if I never really got rid of the spirit? What if it had followed me, lost its grip on me, and was looking for a new host? My sister is the most depressed she's ever been in her life, just like I had been when I moved out, and I felt like I was going crazy. It's a stretch, but it's worth posting. If, if you read until the end, thank you. And please, let me know what you think. I microwaved a cell phone a few days ago. It was a stupid, juvenile decision. I'm sure if you asked me at the time, I would have said something about wanting to see if it would explode. In my defense, I accidentally broke it a few months ago and had smoked a lot of weed during the early hours of the day. Truth is, I was bored. Incredibly so. I don't have many friends, and I live alone in a grimy apartment in the middle of a dingy city. I have very few hobbies chiefly getting high and wasting time. I hadn't seen another person in over a week. I hadn't even talked to my parents in months. Hadn't had a relationship in a year. I work 10 hours a day at home, and I don't know hardly anyone in this town. I figured the best way to combat this feeling of isolation was to look inward and appreciate myself more. But in doing so, it honestly felt like I've been pushing the people closest to me away. The only social interaction I get anymore is the voice call I get from my supervisor halfway across the country. This was the life I wanted. That's what I kept telling myself, even if some days I would remember that it wasn't. And on those days, I told myself this was a matter of survival. For those that are curious about the phone, it didn't explode, create sparks, or do anything cool. Rather, it spinned around in a circle filled the room with the smell of burning plastic, and died after a few minutes in the heat. When I pulled it out, it was inoperable, it wouldn't start. The screen was black and unresponsive, it was a smoldering paperweight that no longer had life. I chucked it on the kitchen counter and prepared to go about my busy day of binging some movies while working on my company's project alone, and in the light of a single fluorescent bulb that illuminated my dark apartment. I opened up Git, Visual Studio, put on some soft music, and began working on what I was tasked for the day. I didn't plan on getting far. My supervisor lived on the East Coast and hardly kept up with my progress, so as long as I had something to show by the end of the week, 
So I got to work, and I started pounding away at the keyboard. Only, this was interrupted when after a few minutes, the dead phone rang. My phone with the fried electronics, the missing SIM card, and the busted battery and the cracked screen rang. I stood hastily. My ears peaked to the sound that was omnipresent in the house. It was a slow, low-pitched ring, crackling a few times. To be truthful, it sounded as if the hardware was fighting against the irreparable damage I had done to it. I approached it carefully. At the time, I found this to be bizarre. When I held it in my hand, it was still warm from the microwave. The screen was pitch black, which meant I couldn't see who it was. Not that it didn't matter. Even if I hadn't subjected it to heat death, it shouldn't have been able to connect the call. Either way, there was only one way to find out what was going on. I held it in my hand, the phone vibrating slowly, and brought it to my ear. And the ringing stopped. There was nothing on the other side, and I could only hear the sound of my shallow breath. I clenched my palms, unsure of what to expect. Part of me assumed that there was an explanation. Perhaps this was a hardware malfunction from the fried microchip. Yet, after a minute of staying silent and hearing nothing... I finally spoke. Hello? I muttered. A faint gasp came from the speaker. Through the oppressive silence, just past the slight hum of the background signal, I could hear a light sobbing. My heart sank as a quiet voice began to speak. Is... is someone there? I scratched my head, clutching the phone tightly. Uh, yeah, I said. Who is this? After a brief spout of sobbing, she spoke more clearly. I can hear you. She sounded young, like late teens. Her words were interspersed with tears and soft wailing. To be honest, the hairs on the back of my neck were starting to stand straight, and I began to notice just how cold the room was. I repeated the question. Who is this? Jason. It's me. It's Samantha. You remember me, right? Her voice was soft, low, and barely audible. It was almost staticky with a slight hum behind it. She spoke abnormally slow, and almost as if the words came difficult to her. There was, however, something else entirely concerning. My name's not Jason, and I don't know anyone named Samantha. She erupted back into a faint sob before giving me her full name. Then she said something I was not expecting. Please don't go. I started to think more clearly about what was happening at this time. I was beginning to consider that perhaps the heat damaged the receiver. Maybe I was picking up a call in the ether. Maybe this was just a wild coincidence going on with the faulty electronics, and this was the last hoorah of my decade-old phone. I was convincing myself that there was an explanation. Not wanting to waste more time either way, I said what I had to say. I don't know you, and you should hang up. I think you have the wrong number. Wait, she yelled, her voice shaking and almost indistinguishable from a blood-curdling scream. The phone erupted into static, and as it mellowed back down, I could hear her pleading. Don't leave me. Please don't. St stay. Please stay. Please. At this point... Now a new thought was starting to enter my head. 
Despite the perplexity of the situation, the person on the other side sounded like she needed help. Are you hurt? What's wrong? More sobbing. Before she spoke. Uh, I think I... I think I've been in a car accident. Wait, hold on. I moved hastily to my laptop in the living room, clutching the phone to the side of my head as I moved. To be honest, I was unsure if this person was even in the same state as me, but I was at least going to make an effort to help if I could. Where are you? I'll call an ambulance for you. I don't remember. I'll look you up. Stay there. I typed her name into the search bar. She kept sobbing as I pressed enter. This was not what I had imagined I'd be doing this morning, but damn it, I was certainly intrigued. But most importantly, if I could help someone who needed it, it would make my week. This optimism quickly died as I put her name in the search bar and pressed enter. My hands turned cold, my bones stiffened, and my eyes sprung open. The search results were quickly conclusive. There was a link to a news article, a funeral home, an obituary, car accident, gravesite. The name she gave belonged to a dead woman. Whoever you are, hang up now and don't contact me again. The breathing on the other side intensified and the hair on my neck stood up as I could feel my skin turn pale. As I began to think about it further, the situation had begun to return to absurdity. Here I was in my living room, talking on a broken phone that was sent through the microwave, and the only person I've talked to all week was this scared woman on the other side that was either pulling a lazy prank or had some other problems. Wait, please, she said much more weakly this time. I'm... I don't want you to go. I pulled the phone away from me, the screen still blank. I held down on the power button. Nothing. The phone was not turning off. My heart was throbbing and my fingers were quivering as I barely held the electronic in my hand. Wait. Uh, I'll come to you. I'll, I'll follow your voice. I shook my head. No, don't do that, I said, my words stammering out. I pulled the phone from my ear, dropping it onto the floor and stepping towards the furthest wall from it. My heart was pounding, but I was still convincing myself that what I had experienced was technical failure. It was technical failure. Surely it was a technical failure. The voice on the other side died down and the room returned to silence. Then the phone rang. I didn't answer it or step near it. Yet, after seconds of ringing, a voice could be heard yelling from the other side. Harupu, Derek A. Mazenka. The man sounded Asian, maybe Chinese or Korean, and I welled my mouth shut as the man's choking screams filled the room. After ten seconds of silence, I blurted out a faint, What the hell? Apparently this was audible. The man's voice erupted as he began to yell, his words interrupted by deep breaths of air that seemed impeded by something, as if there was something around his neck. My knees began to feel weak and I fell to the floor, the dark room around me beginning to feel oppressive. The phone sat in the faint fluorescent light, and I crawled slowly towards it with feeble arms. Do you... Uh, speak English? 
I got to my knees, clasping my hands around the phone, pressing tightly on the power button. The pleading from the other side did not stop. Kozuku ni Moshiwe Karimasen. I don't understand you, I yelled. The man did not stop yelling, and I began to feel a panic take hold as I tried to force the phone off again. The phone would not shut off. Suddenly the voice on the other side was replaced with another ringing, and I sat silently as now an elderly woman could be heard whispering something from the other side. Is there... someone there? She said. I clasped my fingers around the device as I locked my front door, looking out my window at the early morning darkness outside. It was empty, as is usual for this hour, but I scanned the skyline for any lights that may be on, any person that may be watching me from a distance, anyone that could possibly be out there, alive. What is going on? I asked hurriedly. What do you want? I could feel my heart shatter as the answer destroyed my paranoid delusions of the situation. I want you to tell my grandkids I love them. My whole body became weak and I brought my arms towards my chest as I began to feel a tightness in my throat. She spoke again, and this time her words tear-soaked. And tell them I miss them. I sat silently as the words replayed in my mind. I was no longer unsure of the situation. Whoever it was that was reaching me, they thoroughly believed what was happening to them was real. And now, so was I. The woman spoke again, calmly and confidently. Are you an angel? She was sincere. There was a warmth in her voice. She didn't sound like she was trying to confuse or trick me. I sat still in the middle of my room, thinking of something to say. I held my hand over my mouth as I pushed myself towards the couch, slumping against it weakly. With a million thoughts running around my head, I sat staring out the window at the dark, blank sky outside. The stars glittered light years apart from one another, the brightness just visible beyond reach from one another. Why can't you tell them yourself? Surprisingly, the woman gave a faint laugh. Well, I'm too far away now. The cancer won. She seemed content with her fate, and I could do very little but listen as she recounted her last few months in the hospital the last time she saw her family, and the moment she went somewhere else. I'm okay, though. Just a little lonely. John and Murph know I'm in a better place. But... The voice petered out, and for the first time, I didn't want to be alone. I wanted the voice on the other side to stay with me. But what? I asked. Are you there? The woman sighed, her voice getting thinner and softer. Do you know when I go to heaven? Ah, I don't. I've been here a long time and it's so dark. You're the first voice I've heard in years. Her voice trailed away as the connection began to dwindle. My brother is waiting for me up there. I'm sure of it. I... Wait, I said, gripping the phone. The fear I had felt prior was now overcome with grief. I wasn't entirely sure if what I was experiencing was real or not but I was beginning to realize that the people on the other end completely and unequivocally believed what was happening to them was real. You never gave me your name, so I can tell your family. Silence. Hello? Hello? More silence. I could feel a small tear form in my eye. 
I brushed it aside as time slowed to a crawl. My computer screen blacked out, and it fell asleep as I curled on the floor. I had my palm over the phone as I anticipated the next call. It never rang again. The phone was completely lifeless, and I was alone again. As the sun came up and the city below returned to life, I sat still, peering out of my window like it was a television screen of some fake reality. I spent the rest of the day a ghost. I inhabited the walls of my apartment, and I never left. I made my living, lived in the faint light of a fluorescent cage, and continued with my business, doing my best to avoid the crippling anxiety that came with my earlier experience and the forsakenness that was clouding my mind. I didn't want to talk to anyone that day. How could I? I got no work done that day. And that night, after everything I had been through, I was visited. I was asleep on the couch when it happened. I could feel a presence. Her presence. I opened my eyes to view the dark apartment, the thin white light of the kitchen tickling the edge of a shape standing in the corner. I slowly adjusted to the lack of light before jolting in my bed. There was a woman in the corner of the room, sobbing, her knees wrecked and her hair draped over her body. She was wearing a bloodied skirt, and it looked as if she was previously in a brutal attack or... Samantha, I whispered. I couldn't see her face, nor do I think I wanted to, but I could very easily hear her. As soon as I said her name, she tilted her head before turning towards me. I gave a slight whimper before covering my mouth, shrinking into the couch. I thought I'd follow your voice, she said. Her sobs echoed throughout the small room, and the sounds of the world were drowned out by her despair. But you're not here. She started walking towards the center of the room, and I began to shake violently, as I could feel the room drop in temperature. My heart was erupting from its cage, and I placed my covers over my eyes as I pinched them tight. I expected her to attack me, maybe even kill me. I didn't know how I'd be able to fight back. I wasn't religious, so I didn't have that going for me. The most I could do is shrivel up and pray. She stopped walking. I peered with one eye over the cover. The figure was standing a mere foot away, but she wasn't looking at me. No, she wasn't looking at anything in particular. Her face was scanning the room and she was wandering around, looking for something or someone. I kept my eye trained on her as she turned towards the door, her sobs filling the room. Then, without prompt, she spoke again. I thought you'd be here, she said. I'm scared. That's when I understood. Everything was beginning to make sense. The terror I felt was monumental, but momentary. Hers was infinite. I no longer sat in fear. I mean, yes... I was still scared, but I didn't see her as an invader anymore. I only saw us as equals in the brief moment of time. Unlikely companions. I am, I said as calmly as my nerves would allow me. I'm here with you. Her chin moved up, and I could see her pale skin and dry, dark eyes as for only a split second. A look of comfort washed over her bleak face as she turned to me. Yet her gaze was past me, as if she was only following the voice. As I sat up straighter, she didn't change her look, 
only continuing to stare dead straight. She couldn't see me. I don't want to be alone anymore, she said, tears draining down her face. Please stay. I hesitated, the cold air between us no longer piercing. I said the only thing I felt I could, the only thing I felt could help her in any way. I was not afraid of her. I'll always be here, I said. The apparition gave a faint smile as the shadows around her swallowed her. Thank you, it said, and in a moment I was alone in my apartment again. There was nobody but me, and the darkness and the looming threat of the afterlife. As soon as she was gone, I bawled. I have no shame in admitting it. I cried for her, cried for myself, for the woman whose name will be lost in eternity. I was done living this life just to face an infinitum of separation. I couldn't help Samantha, but I wanted to. She depended on me, and I could not do more. Now she is likely to never be heard from or seen again, but she will live on, wondering if the world forgot about her. Maybe, though, I could still help myself. However it happened, for what technical reason may abound or for what divine intervention allowed it, I had talked to the other side, and it sounded no different than the life I had planted for myself. The afterlife was sealed in permanence. My current life wasn't yet. All this time I wanted to hide in the shadows while the world ticked along. I wanted to try and find comfort in the nest of loneliness I had fabricated. Most importantly, I wanted to find peace in the only way I thought possible, a life of solitude. But I was not at peace. Not yet. I woke up with tear-stained eyes in the morning and immediately called my family. I told them I missed them, that I loved them. I promised I was moving back at the end of the month, that I would quit my soul-sucking job. I messaged my old friends from back home, promising them that I would get with them again. The knowledge I have now of the afterlife, it was always haunt me like a specter that lingers behind your shoulder. This infinite loneliness, it terrifies me, and I try my best not to think about it. I doubt I'll ever be the same again because of my encounter. I only hope that I will one day be lucky enough to hear a faint voice in the endlessness that would bring even a minute of comfort to me. After I submit this, I will be microwaving my phone again. I hope that it works. I hope that when I set it on the counter, it'll ring once more and that a voice will be heard on the other side. I hope I can give someone another chance of being remembered, another spirit a chance to share its voice, a voice that needs to hear mine. Lucky Land Slots, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.